Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Man, I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles out, locate in near the very back of your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And uh, you will probably want to jot that scripture down too in your notes. And today's one of these days where I really need for you to take some notes, especially during the second half of my message. I'm, uh, there, there's a lot that's in there that I'm, I'm going to want you to grab hold of, to, uh, to take notes on, some scriptures that I believe will be really, really helpful for you. Because uh, I, I really want this to be more than inspiration. And, and today, my message is, is, uh, is I, I, I believe in preaching a lot of inspirational messages, you know that, but today's, there's going to be a lot of teaching here, and, and I want you to get these principles and get them down in your heart today. Uh, I'm in a series called A Sound Mind. It's several messages where uh, I'm talking about various different aspects of, of I guess you call it mental health, and, and uh, there's, there are different topics that I'm hitting, depression, grief, codependence, addiction, anxiety. I'm talking about how to deal with these things from a Christian and a biblical perspective. Now, I know all of these topics that I'm hitting, there's a lot of information on the internet. You might say, well, let me just go to the internet. Well, as you're going to see in today's message, that's not the best thing to do all the time. And, and what you're probably not going to find is a lot of the biblical foundations for how to deal with and how to process through these things. And I would say especially what I'm talking about today, which is grief. And uh, so I, I want you to open your hearts. I want you to open your Bibles. And I want you to, to do your best to, to gain and to understand the biblical uh, Christian perspective on these issues. Now, I do also want to say this right up front, as I have during this entire series, that, that it is also good to, to, to get professional help and to, and to see professionals, whether it be a doctor or a therapist or something like that, uh, even a nutritionist, something that can help you to walk through various issues in life. Because these five topics that I'm addressing, everyone intersects with them. And, and, most, and really some of, these, some of these topics I'm hitting, every single person faces, which is what one of those topics I'm dealing with today. So... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about anxiety, and that is one of those things that every single person faces uh, to some degree. I also talked about, uh, and, but today I'm going to be talking about grief. It's when you care about somebody who's gone, uh, and it's when a sadness can be very overwhelming. You, you're attached to this person. The person is no longer there, and it's painful, and that pain is called grief. So I've entitled today's message with a little bit of alliteration, like all of my messages titles. I have fun putting them together because I like a little bit of alliteration, but it's, it's grappling with grief. Uh, and I want to talk to you about that just a little bit from my personal experience. There, there, there are three significant times in my life where I've uh, walked through a season of the pain of grief. The, the first time I really dealt with it was the loss of our third child through a, a miscarriage. Uh, you see, when a child is conceived in a womb and then you become aware of it, as parents, anyone who's a parent would know this, is that there is an instant bond that happens there immediately, immediately. And that happened with Rebecca and I. It was her third pregnancy. And, and we'd gone in for our very first ultrasound and the doctor had some very sobering news for us. The doctor looked at us and said, there is no heartbeat. We wanted a miracle. We prayed for a miracle, but went right back to the doctor again. A couple days later, there is no heartbeat. And even though we had known, so to speak, this child in my wife's womb, for only a, you know, just several days, a few weeks, 
we had to start processing through grief. I still say that was my third child. I just think, I believe, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe she was a girl. (laughs) That was my girl. But she went to be with Jesus in 1997, and I get to see her in eternity. But that was the first time uh, we dealt with real grief, I guess you could say. The next time was several years later. It was the loss of Rebecca's mother, Olga Guajardo. What we had found out is that her cancer had returned to her body, and it was stage 4 bone cancer. We did our research and realized this is serious. And she was only given a few months to live. And Rebecca would do, spend as much time down there in New Braunfels as possible, just spending time with her mother prior to her passing. And then she was with her continually the, the days before she passed away. And uh, she was there with her mother when she went into the presence of the Lord. And I was, I was honored to be able to perform Olga's funeral service, the celebration of her life. And I'll tell you what, the church was just packed out. I mean, it's like, who knew, who knew Olga had so many friends? I mean, I was just her son-in-law. <laughs> yeah, she had a lot of friends. That was, that was one of the largest funerals I've ever led. The, the service was packed, but the grief was still real. But the truth is, I know where Olga is. In fact, it was so beautiful because she was actually getting glimpses into heaven in the days prior to her passing, and she would be there telling us about it. And I saw and experienced some of that. I I tell you, it it was incredible. It was incredible. Then in January of 2021, I, I, I left, this is January of last year, I left Fort Worth to, uh, to go out to West Texas, to Odessa, to spend some time with my parents because my brothers had said that, that uh, my parents were, were really sick. They were, they were needing some help there at the house. And I said, well, I can, I can drop things and take some time off and, and go out there and, and help my family. So I, I did that. I went out there. But by the time I, I arrived out there in Odessa, my father had been placed in the hospital. This is right during the middle of COVID. And And so I was unable to visit my dad because of COVID restrictions. And at one point, they sent the police to try to get me out of the hospital because I was trying to help my mother in and out of a bathroom, and she was on a walker. And I was like, you you, you guys, I have four police come and surround me. It was kind of weird. Like, this place is empty, guys. But anyway, I'm not going to get off into that. I wasn't trying to storm the place and, you know, go break the doors down to see my dad or breathe on anyone by any means, but that was tough. And then we could see after a couple days that it was pretty obvious it was my dad's time to go. Um, My mother and my older brother said that dad had always requested that when he passes, he wants to die at home. He said he didn't want to die in some hospital. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the middle of the pandemic. Now, if you ever dealt with people during the pandemic in the hospital, you know it's just there, there were just, there were walls up everywhere. You're not getting through, and nobody's coming out of here, especially if they have COVID. And like, no, that, that's not going to work. So we started praying, God, give us favor. Give us a miracle. Give us favor. My dad is coming out of this hospital. Now, I didn't tell the hospital people that. I just told the Lord that. And we prayed for that. We believed for that. And, and uh, time went by, <clears throat> working with every organization possible. And somehow, by the favor of God, they released my father into hospice to come home. Again, nobody had ever really heard of that during COVID. Again, I still think it was a miracle. <clears throat> we were so excited, and I was just so glad I was there. And I remember as, as they were taking my, my father on the gurney out of the ambulance to take him into the house, I, I said, Dad, Dad, you're home. Dad had his eyes closed, but I, he made some facial movements, and Moved his hand just a little bit, and 
But little did I know that was going to be the last physical response I would ever see from my father. Because once he was set up in the room, set up on the hospital bed there in the house, 30 minutes later, my dad passed into the presence of God with me by his side, along with my mother and my sister. And we just really didn't want to believe it at first, but the nurse said, I'm sorry, he's gone. He's gone. It was that fast. My dad got to die at home. Uh, that grief was real. It was intense. <clears throat> I was just so glad that I was able to be there the days prior and, and to be there by my dad's side when he passed away. Dad died on a Saturday evening, <clears throat> and I was scheduled to preach here on Sunday morning. Uh, the weather had turned bad, and I could see there was no way for me to be able to make it back from West Texas out here to preach. And so, and I also knew that I wouldn't be able to do a live stream from where I was because everybody's internet out there in West Texas is just not like it is here in the city. I don't know. It's just different out there. Like, like you ever heard of dial-up? It's kind of like that. So I, <clears throat> I think, well, the best thing I can do is record a sermon. So that night, I pulled myself together the best I could and I set up a camera in my brother's house and I recorded a sermon that I was going to try to upload all night and, and get it here. Um, the sermon finally made it through at 6 a.m. I was so glad for that. But the sermon that I had prepared already to preach was a sermon that was entitled, It's Not Too Difficult for God. In fact, I look back at the uh, beginning of my sermon and I asked this question. This is what I had planned to preach on. It says, what insurmountable challenges are you facing? Know this, whatever challenge you're facing, it's not too difficult for God. And I had a plan of taking that sermon a certain way, but my insurmountable challenge at that moment was, I don't get, like, bereavement time when my dad dies. I still have to preach. And there I'm preaching to a camera in an empty room my dad, my dad's body had just been taken out. And it was hard. I thought, I, I can't do this. I kept crying and crying like, God, I, I can't do this, but I've got to do this. I will. I was devastated. I was overwhelmed with the beginning stages of grief. Dad's funeral to be honest with you, was the most challenging funeral of the scores of funerals that I've, I've led over the years. I loved him so much, and I will never, ever forget that day. I will never, ever forget the day my dad passed. I will never, ever forget my dad. And in that funeral, the grief was intense. I mean, my, my mother's grief was even just, it was, it was overwhelming to me. Here I am, uh, months later, about 21 months later, and, and I, I, I still miss my dad. I, I honestly don't think there's literally a day that passes by where I don't think about dad. That's grief. That's grief. But you see, I know where my dad is. And as a pastor, I've seen and had to help and had to lead many families through the early stages of grief. And now I was going through it on my own. So today I'm talking about the topic of grief. And this is a topic that is seldom preached about. You're, you will likely very seldom, if ever, hear a sermon about grief. But I think it's important to do this. And here's my motivation the Bible says that I have a specific calling from God, and that is to equip the saints, that's you, to do the work of the ministry. And sometimes the work of the ministry is to minister to other people who are in grief. Um, in fact, some of you, you're in grief right now, so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing my calling, and, and I'm not going to ignore the topic of grief, grief just because it's not one of those hallelujah, jump up and down, sing and dance before the Lord types of <laughs> songs, uh, sermons. 
So if you're experiencing grief night right now, this, this sermon's for you. Um, <clears throat> I believe that today's message will be one of healing and a victory for you. And uh, if you've never experienced it or what, whatever, you, this, this, this equips you. But you will experience it. And you will most certainly have to bring support and encouragement to someone else who's walking through grief. Grief is a very natural, healthy process. Now, <clears throat> according to my research, when someone passes away, there's typically a season of about three to six months of, of grief. But it's different for everyone because of relationships. You see, relationships are sometimes complicated, which then means grief is sometimes complicated. And the more complicated the relationships, the more complicated the grief. And so it's not the same for everyone. Uh, my seasons of grief, I, I'm grateful that they were healthy because of healthy relationships, but also, that's a big part of it, the people around me allowed me to, to feel. They just, they just allowed me to feel. And, and what happens in grief is emotions can just like, like come out of nowhere and at these most unpredicted times and it just hits you. Uh, and and and, and really, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of sadness, but then coupled with it is, is anxiety. Like for me, for the longest time, I would, I would ask the question, how am I going to get along with my dad? Now, please understand, I moved away from home when I was 17 years old. I was one of those kids that was like, it's time to move on out of the house. And, and I, I was going to just roll up my sleeves and, and do stuff. And I, I did. So I hadn't lived with my dad since I was 17. But all of a sudden, I'm thinking, how, how am I going to do this? I, because for me, you have to understand, I'm the son of a pastor, and, and I'm a pastor, and so dad was my safe go-to person for anything I needed to talk about regarding church or, or pastoral stuff or the scriptures, and, and, and he was the one I could confide in. And for the longest time, and only until just the past several weeks, I guess you could say, I, I, would, I would hit various uh, issues or or circumstances, I would think, okay, I just need to call my dad and talk this through with him. And then I realized dad's not there. <laughs> Where am I going to go to get the knowledge and support that dad just always seemed to have? How can I adapt to a world without my dad? And so I found myself bouncing back and forth between natural emotions, but then sadness and anxiety as well. But again, I'm grateful because I did have a great relationship with my father, which for me simplified the grief. But grief, it, it changes for different people. And it's really important that you hear that. <clears throat> my mother's grief from losing her husband, her life companion, and her partner was much more intense. And still is. I, I talk to her about it from time to time. In some, in sometimes during grief, uh, because of, uh, of just the, the various cases of grief, because people live through or walk through grief differently, there's, there's turmoil because the relationship of the person when they were alive was a struggle. Maybe they, that person was an abuser. Possibly it was an, an unhealthy relationship. Or maybe there were issues that should have been addressed while the person was alive and they were never addressed, and now you can't address them. So... When the relationship is complicated, the grief is also complicated. And it doesn't always have a happy ending. I, I want you to know that. And so, sometimes, on the other hand, grief is barely noticeable because of the unhealthiness of a relationship. But in my personal experience, and even what I've, in preparing for this, what I've seen and studied on this, it's... It's the, the, the most challenging type of grief is when you lose someone that you shouldn't have lost. Like when a spouse just suddenly dies from an accident or suicide. Typically, the most difficult type of grief is when parents lose a child or where they lose a teenager. You've spent years with them and they're gone. And the pain is unparalleled. In fact, statistically, according to U.S. numbers, research is that most marriages cannot survive the death of a young child. 
That's how serious the grief is. And, and the reason for that is because each partner is processing the grief differently and, and uniquely, and they're processing it at different speeds because it never should have happened. I'll tell you guys, a funeral for a child is very, very, very challenging. It's one of those things my dad coached me on. He did three funerals for children. My dad would write poetry for those particular funerals just to help the families and to help the congregation. The truth is, no parent should have to bury their child. There's another type of grief that, that occurs like when a young adult leaves home, but they never come back because, uh, because of, of death in the military or possibly some type of an automobile accident or a quick disease, and you get a lot of feelings of anger and frustration and grief and sadness, and, and all you can do is just try to process it. And I'll tell you this, as, as a trained, experienced pastor, um, I should have something really profound to tell people when they're experiencing grief. And in the past, I tried to put together the right words to say, and, but I found that quite often those words fell flat because, to be honest, the best thing to do is just to be there. Hear me well, be there. Don't distance yourself from the other person because you don't know what to say. Because you don't know what to say. You don't. But you need to be there. You need to be somehow in close proximity. Even if you're physically not able to find a way to touch base and let them know that you're just there. Check on them. Don't hide from people. Don't, don't, don't avoid people. And, and let people talk and, and listen. Acknowledge them. And don't try to give them a speech and certainly don't try to give them a sermon. <laughs> you see, there's also the loneliness of grief, especially when the death like, shouldn't have happened. Um, it's really, really tough. In fact, it's, it's crushing. And no one really understands how you feel. They don't. You can't say to somebody who's going through grief, I know how you feel, because every situation of grief is different. And, you know, everybody processes it in a different way. Everyone kind of follows a different pattern. And, 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 uh, but, but what you do have to do is you do need to let people know you love them and you care about them and you offer your condolences. You give them a card or a gift or something just to let them know. But you need to give people grace and space to even be different. Another thing to understand is they may be different or you may be different after grief forever. Uh, sometimes you literally become a different person because of grief. You, you, uh, you may be propelled to champion an idea or something that may change the whole trajectory of your life. In, back in 1981, there was this six-and-a-half-year boy by the name of Adam Walsh, and he was abducted, and he was found murdered. His case was considered to be a failure of the justice system. But Adam's father, John Walsh, in the midst of his immense grief of losing someone he never should have lost, he allowed that grief to propel him to do something. It cha- his grief changed his life. He founded something we've all heard of, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. John made it his lifelong passion to prevent other similar attacks on kids. Multiple laws were put into place across our nation because of his efforts, his relentless work at it. And plus, he's best known for launching his crime prevention television show, America's Most Wanted. It actually still stands today as the longest-running show on Fox Television. But we need to give grace to people when they're grieving and, and love them through the process as they process. And when I'm with people who are grieving, <clears throat> what, I, what I try to do, and this is important for you as well, is to, I try, try to get them to articulate how they're feeling. And even though I may not agree with their feelings, it, that doesn't matter. I just need to listen. You need to listen. 
And, and grief can be articulated in a variety of ways. It doesn't just have to be through words, but sometimes people will express grief through art or maybe planting a tree or some poetry or, or music or doing something in memory of the person that, uh, that they lost. But if you are in a time of grief, it's important to use your feelings and make use of them and express those feelings in a safe place. And, and grief recovery groups are a fantastic place to go if you, if you need, need a, a safe place just to express your grief. It's, it's a good thing to do. And you have to find a way to live with the relationship although that person is gone. Now, I do want to give you a little bit of, of, a, of, a, of a boundary here on this because if it's been over a year and you're still in that first stage of grief, uh, it can become, and that grief is becoming very, very amplified where you're not accepting the death or maybe setting up a place for them at the table or, or talking to the person who has passed away or refusing to take upon yourself a responsibility that they did, such as managing the money. This can be very, very complicated, and that is one of those times when professional help is very, very important, and I encourage you to encourage someone else to get that or for you to get it yourself. Remember this, this is part of the statement of this series, is it's okay to not be okay. See, we come to God as we are, but it's not okay to stay that way. We all need to be making progress. Now, (laughs) with this understanding of, of, I guess you could call it the complicated uh, manifestation of grief, I want us to take a look at what the scriptures say. And and now, though I, I don't want you to ever use scriptures as a hammer to try to force people over to a, 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 of a way of thinking so that they can be forced to get over their grief. You have to allow people to have feelings and don't try to fix them. Don't try to one-up them and certainly don't preach them a sermon. Now, see, preaching sermons is my job, but also I don't preach sermons to individuals, nor do I preach a sermon designed uh, around an individual. I, that's, that's inappropriate. I just don't know the sermons are for, for a mass of people, for a lot of people to hear. And so uh, don't preach a sermon to them. But I want to give you some scriptures, and I want to start off with this one. First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter Second Corinthians chapter one, verse four, from the Message version of the Bible. I love what it says, <clears throat> and this is where you come into play as someone who is ministering to someone who has grief. God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. This is from the Message version. God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Wow, that's true. In fact, that's a foundational thing of of our faith. We, We do that. Often after you've gone through some grief yourself and now even being equipped with scriptures, you can much more easily come alongside. I'm not sure where I saw this particular post, but I found this image a few months ago as I was carving out this series of messages and I saved it and I was like, you know, this is a good statement. I I just want to share with you here. Look at it. It says, grief never ends, but it changes. It's a passage, not a place to say. Grief is not a sign of weakness nor a lack of faith. It is the price of love. <clears throat> Beautiful, isn't it? In fact, you know one of, the, one of the most wonderful things that God has built into creation are pets. I've had all kinds of pets since I was a child. A lot of dogs, a lot of dogs, a few cats. I never really liked the cats, but uh, I still don't like cats. Cats are, I, th- I still think cats are of the devil, but we'll just, we'll just uh, uh, I, I still, I feel that way. It just, I just felt led to say that, but <clears throat> oh, we had birds and, and all kinds of little things and, you know, pets are, pets are good, but that's, it's nice how God has built pets into our life. <clears throat> and, and uh, pets can also be great therapy as a person is going through grief. But another thing pets do is pets help us prepare for legitimate grief. <clears throat> In fact, I personally think it's a good idea for children to have pets or some type of a pet because 
one of the values of that is that pets don't live as long as people do. And over a lifetime, you'll have a lot of pets. But when a pet dies, especially for a child, there can be a certain degree of grief that goes along with a pet dying. And that grief shouldn't be minimized. Although, understand this, the grief of losing a pet is not even on the same plane as losing a person. Okay, it's not, it's not in the same ballpark. But it, it, as a, it's kind of like getting your feet wet with grief. And I think it's important and it's healthy to walk through those times. Because for children, it allows them to prepare for the grief that they will ultimately have to face at other times in their lives. So it's good for them. Now, if you're experiencing grief right now, I want you, you to allow the Lord to speak to you through some of the scriptures I'm going to share with you. Write them down as references and come back to them. Always lean into scriptures during times of grief. It's very, very healthy. And I'll give you just a few of them here real quick. First of all, there's Psalm 147, verse 3. I'm going to go through these quickly, so just jot them down. Psalm 147, verse 3. This is for you. This is for you to even share with others is that he, God, heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. It doesn't say you won't have wounds. It doesn't say you won't have a broken heart. It just says that God will bring healing. God will bind up the wounds. Beautiful. Matthew 5, verse 4, said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In fact, Grieving is actually a time of blessing because during that time of blessing, you actually receive the comfort of others and the comfort of God, and that, that's a beautiful thing. It is. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. That picture of a refuge is like a place that you're going to go when the tornado's coming. Now, I know here in, in Texas, when tornadoes come, we just go outside and look at them. But, but, uh, but, but if they get too close, you know, you're going to find a place of refuge. You're going to find a place of safety. And that's, that's what God is, an ever-present help in trouble. Now, some people accept the methods of the culture, which include these sorrow and grief uh, tunes, and they yield to, oh, I guess it's called singing the blues, and it's also called crying in your beer, <laughs> whatever. And these are these old melancholy songs that, that they play up at Billy Bob's. I know they have to play them up there at Billy Bob's, but, it's, but, it, but it allows for some kind of emotional sorrow to engage in, and it actually can bring a person into an almost like an intoxicated feeling that's associated with, with singing and hearing these songs and just being miserable with the song. But what, what happens with that is though the enemy then conjures up these old memories and, and often it keeps people in bondage to the past and often keeps people in bondage to some hurtful emotional attachments that, should, that grief should have allowed to have been broken. The scriptures do teach us that we need to forget some of the things that are behind us. Psalm chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Write this down. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This is a broadly applied uh, uh, verse of scripture. But, it, but Paul says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That means he hasn't gotten all this figured out. This is Paul. This is a good guy. This is like a major missions church planting dude of the whole New Testament. He says, I haven't still gotten all this down yet, but <laughs> one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on, oh, good words, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So there's a future there. That's something we move forward to. Putting the past behind you doesn't mean that you're going to literally forget about the other person. That's, that's not true. <clears throat> I have never forgotten about those periods of grief, even with our, uh, the, our, our third child. I've never forgotten about it. All. Quite often the, the memories come back. But I, I can be honest with you, I can go a decade. <laughs> I can go two decades, as long as I've lived now, not remembering some of the dogs that we lost because it's a whole different level. It's not the same. 
So you don't literally forget about the person, but you do move forward, and, but you don't stay in this state of perpetual grief. See, grief that is not ultimately released to God, it can have a toxic hold on people. And what happens is then the people become isolated and they build walls around themselves and they will stay away from any setting that even could potentially remind them of what happened. For example, uh, a person will say, well, I will not celebrate Father's day. I will, have no, I will not go to church on that day. I'm going to go and get drunk on that day because if I go to church or I remember Father's Day, it's going to remind me of when my father died or, or when I was going to be a father and it didn't happen. And so I'm not going to do those things. Well, you know what? That's, that, that's when it becomes dangerous. That's when the grief has not been worked through. And, and God wants to heal you of that. God wants you to release that and give it to him. And the way to do it, he explains it here, is you just strain forward in doing the things of God. Keep moving forward. One of the best things to do uh, in grief is, is as soon as possible, re- uh, return to your normal activities of your life. That would be church or connect groups or family time, hanging out with friends. And, and because Jesus does not want you to perpetually, continually bear your grief. You see, he already bore your grief on the cross. Did you know that? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. It says a little different in different versions, but it says he took up our pain, but also quite often that's translated griefs and bore our suffering. So let God carry it with you and just keep giving him more and more of that grief over time. Understand this. That's part of the reason he went to the cross. That's part of the reason we do communion. That's part of that. But I I also want to warn you of this. The world has some very seductive and dangerous approaches to grief. And I just want to unmask one of them here. Recently, I saw some Christians sharing this little video on the Internet saying, oh, this is so good, this is so good, this is so good. And you look at it and go, okay, the first time I went through it, I thought, this is kind of strange. It doesn't hit right. And so I went back through it and listened to it closely, and this is not good at all. But I want you to take a look at the little thing that's been passed around by a lot of Christians. Do you know what happens after your funeral? In a few short hours, the crying will die down and your family will be busy making arrangements for food or drink. Some of your relatives will start discussing current events over coffee. And some people will call your family to tell them that they can't make it in person because of an emergency your employer will begin to search for your replacement. In a few days, your children will go back to work because their bereavement leave has run out. In a month, your spouse will be watching a comedy on TV and start to laugh. You'll be forgotten at an astonishing pace. If people will forget you so easily, then who are you living your life for? You spent your whole life worrying about what people will think about you. They don't. So live your life for you. Do you know what happens? All right, stop. There's a lot that's wrong with that. See, what people do is they take little elements of truth and then build a false doctrine out of it. That's why be careful when you're on, you know, maybe if you're one of these Facebook, Internet, or Instagram people that like, just like to like everything. Be careful what you're liking, okay? Um, I, I don't know if I can say this in church or not, but I'm going to use the abbreviation. That is what you call BS, a bunch of BS. First of all, you will not be forgotten. Yeah, life does go on for people who are left behind, but that is actually, in all reality, because I study religions, that's actually called a false doctrine because it says... What they're, what they're encouraging you to do is stop living your lives for others and just live your life for yourself. It's couched in this little phraseology of worrying what people think about you. I mean, everyone does that to some degree, but, but, but it, the, the bigger message here, the under, uh, undergirding message is stop living your life for other people. Live life for yourself. This ultimately says... Life is all about selfishness and consumption. This little video that's being shared by Christians is actually the opposite of the scriptures. (laughs) 
In reality, if you've ever studied paganism, those are the basic fundamental elements of paganism. See, Christianity is about two things. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what life is about. That's what prepares us for eternity. And you need to allow also your, uh, your faith to become paramount in this life. That is critical. And that's critical for you, for your identity. And it's critical for other people as they grieve for you one day. John chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, write this down. Uh, John chapter 11, verses, excuse me, 25 to 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, <laughs> even though he dies and whoever lives, believes in me, will never die. You continue living eternal life. When I think of my dad, or I think of my little baby, or when I think of Rebecca's mother, I just picture them in heaven. They don't care what's going on down here. I don't, and they're not looking over the clouds of heaven. Oh, I'm, I'm here for you. No, they are not. They're not. They're enjoying the best time of their eternal lives right now. So the most proactive thing, and I believe in being proactive in life, one of the most proactive things that you can do in life regarding grief is to help bring people into the kingdom of God. In fact, when we get to this place called New Jerusalem, that's after heaven, when we get to New Jerusalem, that is a place where no grief even exists. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4, the end of the Bible says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. <laughs> I love that for the old order of things that's now have passed away for good. So hear this, building the church of Jesus Christ is foundational in processing grief before the grief happens. In other words, your life serving Jesus and your ministry counts. It does. And maybe it's, it's cleaning the church building, leading in worship and making repairs, giving offerings or working with the children. Because of what you do, people will be in heaven. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I want you to look now at the passage I told you to open up to, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read this for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We'll go all the way through verse 18 because this is one of the most critical scriptures. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve. Hear that? So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That means people who don't know Jesus, people who are not a part of the church. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, that's death, fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Do you get this? He says, therefore, what are we supposed to do with this? Encourage one another with these words. Do this. <laughs> do this. Last night, I, I, I actually got to see one of my, not one of my, definitely my favorite Christian band of all times, Petra. Uh, if, you're, if you don't know about Petra, that's your loss. It's life's, life's rough, but they're my favorite. But, but I saw them for the first time when I was in college. I just started college. I saw them right over here a few blocks away at the Fort Worth Convention Center. And, uh, and I, I, I was, after that concert, I told my friends, I said, these are all like people who are training to be pastors. I said, you know what? They're going to sing in my church someday. Now, please understand, back in those days, there were Christians who were picketing the concert, and, and, and they had to tell us at the concert, please do not engage with the picketers, you know, and all these people handing out flyers. They don't engage with them. Just So we, 
but we had a great time and they're just worshiping the Lord. I said, man, these guys are gonna sing in our, my church someday. Like, no, that, that's, this, this band is not allowed in churches. Well, <laughs> I actually got the last laugh because on October of 2005, seven, uh, like literally 17 years ago, <laughs> They came to my church and they performed in in their farewell tour and it was so fun people from all over the area came out filled up the auditorium it was our it was our it was my favorite concert we had lots of concerts at, at that church uh, in missouri but you see music has a way of bringing therapy poetry has a way of bringing therapy and Bob Hartman, who's the leader of the band, he's the guy who's in that picture standing to the, I don't know, the side of me, he's the guy with the darker hair. That, that's me, that's me from like uh, 17 years ago. Uh, a happy pastor, you know. But he wrote these words of poetry, which were built into a song called Grave Robber. And after my dad passed away, I remember that night after finishing my sermon and trying to get it to upload, I just put on this song and I put it on replay over and over and over. And it was the beginning of the therapy that came to me. Because I was going through some intense grief. Listen to these words. It says, there's a step that we all take alone, an appointment we have with the great unknown, like a vapor this life is just waiting to pass like the flowers that fade, like the withering grass. But life seems so long and death so complete and the grave an impossible portion to cheat. But there's one who has been there and still lives to tell. There is one who has been through both heaven and hell. And my grave will come up empty-handed that day. Jesus will come and steal us away. Where's the sting? Tell me, where's the bite? When the grave robber comes like a thief in the night. Where's the victory? Where's the prize? When the grave robber comes and death finally dies. Many still mourn. Many still weep for those that they love who have fallen asleep. But we have this hope. Though our hearts may still ache, just one shout from above and they all will awake. And in the reunion of joy, we will see death will be swallowed in sweet victory. When the last enemy is done, from the dust will come a song. Those asleep will be awakened, not a one will be forsaken. He shall wipe away our tears. He will steal away our fears. There will be no sad tomorrow. There will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. And I cried and I wept and I listened to this song and I fell asleep listening to it. And that's when I realized and it became so real to me personally with that particular moment of grief is that I would be healed of this grief at some point because of Jesus. Jesus is the hope for grief. Do you hear me? Jesus is the hope for grief. I want every head bowed in this room and just uh, lock yourselves in with God and please no movement. And if you're here this morning and you're not serving Jesus, you're not in right relationship with him, I, I want to tell you, you need to be before you leave this place. You do. The best preparation for death on your end and for those who will be grieving for your loss is to have Jesus in your life. If you need Jesus, give your life to him today. I'm going to ask you in a second to lift your hand so that I can see it. And as you do, see what I'll do is I'll, I'll see your hand and I'll connect my faith with yours. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus and see your sins forgiven. So if that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus this morning before you leave this place, would you just lift your hand to the count of three? One, two, three. Lift it up. Lift it so that I can see it. Thanks. Anyone else? Put your hands down. Okay, thanks. Put your hands down. Would you just pray these words with me now? Come on. 
Lord Jesus, I make you my Lord. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Make me a new person. I make the choice today to turn from my past and to embrace the hope and the future that you have for me of my eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Still no movement in the room. Would you just receive this prayer right now? I want to pray. First of all, for those of you who are grieving, God, I, I pray for help and encouragement and peace and healing for those who are walking through grief right now. Wherever they are, God, at whatever stage of grief, I just pray for that restoration of life. I pray that the words that I've shared today and the working of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of others will bring about healing, total healing. And God, I also pray for everyone, every single person in this room, as I've done my duty to fulfill what you tell me to do based on the scriptures, and that is to equip the saints to do ministry, that we will take these scriptures and we'll take this information it won't just be a nice little happy sermon where we say that felt good and now I'm going home but no we'll take it we'll digest it we'll, 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 we'll get it into our hearts and into our Bibles and we, so that we can be ready for when grief strikes our own lives or the lives of someone else we love so that we can be with them to walk with them and to encourage them and to help them I pray God that the church of Jesus Christ will rise up in health and in strength and in great vitality and that we will do the work you have called us to do that we will be proactive in building your kingdom for that is the best thing that we can ultimately do about grief before grief happens in Jesus name Amen Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.